Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. Being a castaway on the reality TV show Survivor gave 26-year-old Alexis Jones a chance to think about what really matters in life. And it wasn't the fashion model, cute girl aspects she thought were so important before. This wise, talented author, activist, speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of I Am That Girl and Protect says that you don't have to live on a desert island to get to know yourself. In this classic master's interview, Alexis shares her inspiring message of empower women and change the world. If you love this interview as much as I do, please share it with your friends and visit masterspodcastclub.com to sign up for our mailing list. Masters Podcasts are now available on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Enjoy this Masters Classic interview. Hi, everybody. This is Wynn Claybaugh, and welcome to this issue of Masters. Boy, I bet you wish you had a photo of the woman that I'm sitting in front of right now because not only is she beautiful on the outside, what you're going to hear about her and what she is passionate about and the mission that she has and the message that she has is going to show you how beautiful she is on the inside as well. So I'm sitting here with Alexis Jones. Alexis, welcome to Masters. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And um, I really appreciate you working around my schedule Actually, I think I worked around your schedule this time. It was really funny. I was It was a last-minute thing, and I happened to be in town for four days, and I emailed Liz and said, is there any chance he's here? Mm. And she said, actually, yeah, so it worked out. Everything happens for a reason. And uh, because of uh, your message and the, the campaign that you're involved in and the organization that you're involved in, which is prime for our industry because our industry is primarily made up of women, and you have an organization called I Am That Girl, that has a target of women between 18 and 35, correct? Exactly. Okay, so who founded this organization, I Am That Girl? I actually founded it about two years ago. I had the idea when I was in grad school, and I really kind of brought it to fruition right after I was on Survivor. It gave a great platform in PR, so that was when I officially launched it in May of 2007. Okay, you were on Survivor. I was. <laughs> Wait, you're the one that injured your knee on the Yeah. I, I think the big joke in Survivor history is that I think everything could possibly go wrong to any single person happened to me. Oh, really? So I broke my hand. I blew out my knee. I fell 25 feet off a cliff in the dark and blew out my knee. I macheted my foot. I got stung by a really poisonous scorpion three times. I went 13 days without eating. That was the longest that I went. And I'm the kind of girl, like, I miss a meal and I'm not the girl you want to be around. So 13 days was pretty intense. I think I lost about 30 pounds. Why'd you decide awful. to go on to Survivor? What was this all about? It's kind of a funny story. I was sitting in grad school and Professor Christopher Smith, who uh, is the current expert on pop culture and the influences it has on you today. His wife is Salam, who's the head of the Style Network. It's just an incredible power couple. And he gets up and he gives a four-hour lecture on reality TV and how influential it is you know, on the public. And he knew that I was wanting to start this company. And so immediately I run into his office hours and I say, I have the greatest idea ever. What if I go on a reality TV show? Will you help me strategically utilize it to promote I Am That Girl and this new brand and this new you know, vision that I have for women? And I'll never forget him. He kind of started laughing. He was like, yeah, Jones, you go get on a TV show and I'll help, you know, kind of like I dare you to. And that night I went home and I looked up online and I was two and a half months past the due date 
for when um, the videos are actually due. So I called in a favor from a friend and I said, where are Mark Burnett's secret production company, even though it was like highly illegal. And he of course gave it to me. And I made a video that day, walked in, all the security, and I make up a name. So I go to the front and I, I hit the little call box button and immediately this really gruff voice is like, hello? And then you, I just panicked. I was like, ah. And it's so funny how your voice goes up like nine octaves and you get really scared. Right. And I was like, um, hi, is uh, Cecilia there? Which I've never even met a Cecilia. So like that shows my lack of improv skills. And he's like, Cecilia? Yeah, I think that's her name. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, this is embarrassing. And he was like, yeah, one second. And the door's open. And now I'm like, oh my God, you have to be kidding me. Like, is there really a Cecilia here? Because I, one, I don't know how to explain it to her. So I walk in and there's this woman behind the desk and she's like, oh, honey, my name is Cynthia. It happens all the time. And I was like, oh my God. That is funny. It was insane. And then she said, what are you doing here? And 10 minutes after we were chatting, I said, I'm here for uh, the Survivor. And she's like, oh, you're one of the 48 finalists. And I just nodded. And she was like, great, let me send you in. And sent me in uh, into a room with six producers. And I had about 30 seconds. They were either going to arrest me or cast me. And I had 30 seconds to give my pitch of why I thought, you know, I was a great contestant for the show. And sure enough, four days later, I went back to my professor. And I said, hey, by the way, I got cast. So let me know if you want to talk about it. And yeah. turned to walk out. So it, it was very strategic. It was to promote I Am That Girl, and I'm such a tomboy, so it was a dream come true. I'd always wanted to be on the show, so it was kind of like killing two birds with one well, stone. Well, at least you didn't go after Jerry Springer or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the options was Bachelor, and I was like, no. No. I don't have – I have too much pride. I can't do it. So there, I think it was the only reality TV show I would have ever even – contemplated. Thank you. I don't know that you and I would be sitting here today exactly. if, you, if you were on Bachelor. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. So what's the mission statement for I Am That Girl? Um, our mission is to instill authentic confidence in girls and women everywhere. What does that mean? To me, it means that um, girls know who they are and what they stand for. I mean, in layman's terms, I realized that the more I started going to girls' organizations and the more that I saw there's this epidemic of a facade of perfection and nothing really to back it up behind it. And I mean, more than anything else, it wasn't just that I was seeing this in other girls. I was seeing this in myself. And I think that it, it's a conversation that we weren't having. The world, there's, there's so much that the world tells you is important. And actually through my experience in Survivor, really when I was stripped of everything that the world says important, no one cared what my hair looked like and, you know, my lack of makeup and, you know, the shoes and the clothes and the Abercrombie boyfriend and all these things that I took so much pride in, all of a sudden... I didn't have anything. I had one outfit and it was me versus mother nature and it was very humbling. And more importantly, I think through that experience, it was the first time I ever met myself. I mean, because I didn't even know who I was. When you took all those things away from me, I didn't know what I stood for and what I was going to do in this lifetime. And so I started talking to other women and just realized that we were all struggling with this and that it was kind of like an epidemic we weren't really talking about. That, as I said before, we we're being lied to, that we we're being told all these things are really important in life and the reality is they're not. And so the more I started having these conversations, the more passionate I got about sharing a message of, okay, let's redefine what our very narrow definition of beauty is right now. And that was part of my passion to inspire these girls of, of this authentic confidence. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you about that definition of beauty that you kind of came up with. But it seems like a lot of people who get involved with an organization or especially are the founders of some type of an organization or campaign or movement have a story to tell. Is that yeah. Absolutely. They're involved in raising money for cancer awareness because they had a bout with cancer or, or whatever. I think for me, uh, growing up, I modeled from a really young age. So I definitely fell into that trap of thinking that who I was was 
being beautiful and that that's what I did really well. And that that so much became a part of my identity that I didn't really have to develop the other parts of my personality. And I'll never forget when I was 17, uh, going into my agent's office and I'd just been accepted to college out in California. And I'm very blessed to have come from an awesome family who really, really, education was everything. And so I came walking in with my mother and I sat down and he's promising the moon and the stars and the universe and we're going to make you the next big fill in the blank. We're moving you to New York and, you know, this, these are all the things that I put together. And I remember sitting there for a moment, kind of, I kept glancing at my mom because I was like waiting for her to be like, that's just not going to happen. She's going to school. But she never spoke up. And I'm so grateful in retrospect because I finally had to do it for myself. And I think that was something that a decision my mom wanted me to make for myself. And I finally looked at him and I said, listen, I, I'm so grateful. And already these past few years, you know, have been amazing with you. Um, but I'm actually, I'm not going to go to New York. I'm, I'm going to go to California and I'm going to go to college. And there was this long silence. And I'm thinking that I should be getting accolades for being 17 and being like tempted so greatly and like walking away. And instead he looks at me and he said, you are a waste of effing prettiness. And I was like, wait, what? What do you mean? And, and he was like, yeah, you're a waste of prettiness. You know how many girls would jump at this opportunity? Like proceeds to like admonish me. And I just remember my mom, the God-fearing woman that she is, looking at me and being like, sweetheart, can you step outside for a second? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. And so like I get up and I walk out. She's like, if I ever effing like, you know, <laughs> F-bomb after F-bomb of like, and then walked out with this beaming smile. I think to this day, I've never seen my mother so proud. Wow. We walked out. She was like, we're getting burgers and milkshakes and French fries. <laughs> you know, because that was the other thing was that it was such a facade. And I joke with all the girls that I give talks to that I was hungry for like seven years. Wow. Like I don't remember a day in which I wasn't actually hungry. I... And so for me, I think that that's what it boiled down to is, you know, for the pretty girls, then that's all you are. You know, you don't have anything else to offer. And then for the not pretty girls, you don't even get to be in the race, wow. you know? And so for me, I was just like, what is this definition? It's so myopic and it misses the whole point of what I think truly makes a woman beautiful. I have a goddaughter who is 10 years old and she already has, I don't think it's anything serious, but who knows what it is, but she's made comments of body yeah, issues. Absolutely. You know, that, that she's fat and... It doesn't matter what her size is, the fact that at that age, she so already, aware she's already aware of it. My five-year-old niece made a comment recently. I was trying to you know, get her dressed in the morning or whatever, and she was like, but Auntie A, I don't want to wear that tank top because of my flabby arms. She's five. Flabby arms at five, yeah. And so it's just like, and, and what's scary is that she has two very present, amazing parents who are really dedicated to raising a healthy, confident young woman. And somehow those messages are still getting through. Hmm. And that's what's scary about silent epidemics is that you're not even aware that they even exist. And so you're making all these comments and naturally a little girl is going to emulate that. So, I, yeah, I think it's a problem. I think it's a major problem. One of my mentors, John Bradshaw, used to say that he believes that maybe statistically people guess that 97% of people were raised with some type of dysfunction. And I think to, to say that 3% were not raised with any type of dysfunction is probably being pretty generous. Absolutely. I think everyone has a certain degree. So of... you, could, you could have amazing parents, mm -hmm. um, but it, it is going to seep in somewhere. It's going to seep in at school. It's going to seep in through watching TV or looking through magazines or, or billboards. And so, so maybe I just said it, but where are these messages coming? How would a 5-year-old, how would a 10-year-old, how would a 30-year-old 
you know, get these wrong messages. I mean, I think part of it, you know, as you said, unless you live in a bubble, you are not going to get outside of media and marketing of a, a multi, multi-billion dollar. Their only goal is to convince you to purchase something, right? you know? And so for me, it's, you know, walking down the street, not only is it going to probably be your mother where you're hearing these comments and not that she's meaning to, but you know, that, you know, she's like pulling up her pants or being like, uh, those little size, like everything matters. And then from going into, you know, the different stores and having a less than zero size mannequin to the billboards, to the movies, to everything. I mean, it's just one of those, you're so inundated. And I think the scary thing is in, in the statistics back it up that for young girls today, it's exponentially worse than it's ever been before. And I think it really is a testament to technology. There's so much more access for these young girls to be online, to be looking up, you know, all these different definitions of beauty. And the reality is, what, if you're not a size zero, you know, blonde bombshell with blue eyes, then it's hard to fit under that. Right. Well, okay, so our audience right now is the beauty industry. Yeah. So the people who are listening to this interview right now are thousands and thousands of salon professionals who make their living by selling, you know, beauty. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you you go to a salon, correct? Absolutely. Do you have have (laughs) your nails done? Yeah, I mean, I do it all. And I think the conversation, it isn't about, you know, can we get rid of it? Because I don't ever believe that you can, like, just go back in time and undo everything that we've done. And that's not even what I preach because trust me, I'm all about trendy and, you know, going to the clubs on a Friday night in a black micro mini dress. But at the end of the day, I think the difference is just reassessing the pie that, that's our, that, that we define as beautiful. I think that right now our physical beauty is making up 99.9% of our self-worth and self-esteem. And all I just, I just want to reassess that. And say that that is a slice of the pie. Absolutely. You're never going to take my, you know, expensive high heels away from me. And I think that's also something really beautiful about our generation is that we have these girls who it's no longer mutually exclusive. We can be bold and beautiful and sexy and smart and fierce and feminine. And so I would never want to take that away from a woman and say, you know, I want you to be androgynous and I want you to not wear makeup and I want you to absolutely not. I think there's something, every girl, I always joke that I feel more beautiful when I come out of the hair salon without fail. Of course. But again, I just think that that we need to redefine that that's a slice of the pie and that my integrity is as important as my diamond earrings. Love and it. so that's, I think, where I'm just trying to shift that paradigm that we're also celebrating, that we're not forgetting about the intangibles that I think is the warehouse of a woman's beauty. So when you said that you got together with uh, some women and you kind of helped to define what beauty is, what'd you come up with? I think most simply, the thing that I kept coming back to was this concept of authentic confidence was this concept of knowing who you are and what you stand for. Because I think the moment that your self-esteem and your self-worth no longer dances on the approval of others, that's a pretty good place to start from. And I think that anyone would agree that there's nothing more beautiful about a woman than hearing her talk about what she's passionate about. And I think even that is a travesty that we're not taking the time to even ask young girls, what are you passionate about? And allowing them to go on that journey to find it. Instead, we're just kind of spoon feeding them distractions. And that's also a real problem for me is that we're not having these important conversations. We're not challenging these girls to define who they are and what they're going to do in this world for themselves. Part of it, I just think, is we're all distracted. There's so many, you know, you go home and you have an iPod and you have a DVD and you have messages from people and you have parties you can go to and you can get on the internet and you can check your email and you can, all these things. And all of a sudden it's like, when was the last time you actually sat down with yourself and just checked in? You know, and I think that's one of our big challenges with girls. I remember one of my mentors used to say that, you know, people alone 
on a Saturday night at home. They just can't wait to get on the phone and call anybody they ever met once. And the, the, the whole message being, gosh, if you can't be alone with you, exactly. why would anybody else want to be with you? Exactly. And, and I think that's it. I think people are scared because most people don't have a relationship with themselves. And, you know, I really encourage girls that at the end of the day, you have to be your best friend. You have to be your biggest cheerleader because you're the only one who's with you at all times. And I think that, again, it's silly that it took me going on a silly reality TV show. But at the end of the day, I was on a deserted island by myself with a few other people. But push comes to shove, you get to know yourself pretty quickly when you're like hallucinating and out in the woods by yourself trying to find coconuts to eat or like, you know, it's such an extreme circumstance. And I don't think that it takes that necessarily. But I do think it takes diligence in saying, I'm going to set aside five minutes today. You know, it's not about, can I meditate for two hours? I mean, who really is that kind of time. I think it really is setting a priority. My big challenge for myself lately, which is shocking how difficult it is, is to meditate three times for three minutes a day. And I'll get done at the end of the day and I'm laying there in bed being like, dang it, how did I not do this again? I mean, even that is really difficult, but I think you have to start there. Do you mind if I, uh, so our listeners know, how old are you? I'm 26. 26, which by the way, doesn't mean anything other than that it gives me more hope that people are figuring it out earlier in life. Yeah. I mean, I was an idiot at 40. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm 50 now and I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You're a total babe. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's good news that people are figuring it out yeah. quicker and sooner. And so talk to me about some of the, the tasks or the to-do list that you have people go through. Because you and I could sit here and talk about the philosophy, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't think that there's anybody listening to this who wouldn't agree with everything that you just said, mm-hmm. that there are some mixed messages or, and, or even downright bad messages that young girls or that, not even young girls, that, that grown women are, are receiving that somehow they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it comes up all the time. You know, if, if, if a woman is a strong businesswoman, she's known as, you know, the B word. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a man is just good at business if he's, if he's that way. And so it's, you know, we've been hearing that forever. It's never going to go away. You know, I interviewed this very successful woman, Melissa Yamaguchi, and her and her husband, Billy, own these salons and spas together. And she would just laugh at, you know, staff members introducing uh, their family. You know, hey, hey, this is my mom and dad, and this is Billy, the owner of my salon and his wife. And Melissa's like, uh, I'm the owner too. Wow. <laughs> You yeah, know, I think just... there's still a lot of those double standards out there. Right. No question about that. I mean, even that's funny. You know, as I said, growing up with four older brothers was interesting because I think I was raised really differently in the sense that, you know, when we sat down at the table, you know, my mom would look at me and she'd be like, you're barely eating. Here's another bowl of spaghetti. You know, like even just the way, the culture that I was raised in and that we never had those conversations, those self-deprecating conversations that women sit around and that's how we bond. And so it was really kind of a, a culture shock when I moved out to California for the first time and was in a sorority. And I was like, what? This is what girls talk about? This is horrible. Like, why are we going to sit around and like talk about how fat we are? Like, why, you know, I mean, those are just not conversations guys have. And so I think that in itself was really interesting for me. But I don't know. I mean, as far as some of the things and going back to your original question is what are some of the first to do's? They always seem really silly, but one of the first things I always, 
I always challenge girls is go home today. Like something that you can do today. The one thing I love about your book is, you know, your ability to be nice now in this moment. It's not go get four years worth of education or go do, you know, and have this huge life altering, you know, experience. It's like, what can I do in the next three minutes that is potentially going to change my life? And for me, I always challenge girls to go home and to stare themselves in the mirror for two minutes straight, staring directly into their eyes. It's amazing how uncomfortable that makes you. Because again, it's like staring a stranger in the eyes for two minutes straight. And as we all know, that would be terrifying. I mean, you look in society, I mean, we dodge eyes today, you know, more than three seconds and you're officially awkward. Mm. So I think that's where it starts is because there's such a disconnect between who we are and who we are to other people. And I think so often we're judging ourselves through the eyes of other people versus coming back to that authentic confidence of this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is what I do well. And so that's kind of one of the first things that I ask girls to do. And then I really just try and get them. It, it all starts first with them. What kind of feedback do you get from, from girls or women who, yeah, okay, I went home and I did that, what you just, that little assignment. What kind of feedback do you get? Because I'll stand on the stage and challenge people to do whatever it takes to fall madly in love with themselves. Exactly. And people, either they snicker or I've had people get angry at me how Mm. dare you tell me that i should fall in love with myself Mm -hmm. like the concept so counterintuitive you're like wait that's a good thing (laughs) but it it can anger it brings up something for people definitely because i think that part of it as you said is is laughing you know i have girls come back and they were like that was the most uncomfortable like i made it like 20 you know and i always imagine these girls sitting in the bathroom by themselves starting to laugh at themselves but even that is a great starting place like one i just think people in general take life way too seriously so anytime that we can like bring laughter like that childlike wonder back into anything i'm always inspired by that um but i think you're right i think that when part of why it's easier to live your life distracted and focused on other things is because there is always the good, the bad, and the ugly of each of us. And I think that in order to fully accept all of that, um, as you said, to fall madly in love with yourself, I think a lot of that is having to forgive yourself. And I think that women intrinsically, we just take on the world. And when something doesn't go right, I mean, immediately, it's not what's wrong with that immediately when that guy doesn't like you, it's what's wrong with me. And so I think that we have so much guilt and we have so much, we're so hard on ourselves. I always say that today, um, I don't think our battle's necessarily trying to be commensurate with men. It's not trying to be equal with men. I mean, I still think we have a ton of work to still do in that arena, but I really think the, the perpetrator today is ourselves. I mean, I think we are our worst enemies today and that's what we have to address. Well, for a grown woman listening to this, maybe those original messages came from mommy or daddy, mm-hmm. or they came from, uh, you know, somebody on a, in the schoolyard, but those people are long gone, or at least their attack of us is long gone, but we're mm. playing those old tapes over and over Absolutely. and over and over again. And sometimes we are harsher on ourselves with that negative self-talk than that person live ever was. Mm-hmm. I think it's bad programming. But I'm also inspired by the fact that I absolutely believe in the concept that you can teach old dogs new tricks. And I think that once you accept the power of just how powerful your own mind is, when you make a decision and you say that, yeah, I always joke with the girls that, you know, I become like such a boot camp officer with myself, with certain things, because it's not that I'm above thinking, you know, negative thoughts or getting upset or getting jealous or all these things. It's just that, what are you going to do with that? When that comes up in your mind, okay, well, that's my default 
is that I've been programmed to go to jealous. I've been programmed to go to threatened or whatever it is or feel bad about myself. But then I think the true power is now what am I going to do with that? I'm going to assess that and I'm going to realize that that is in fact not true or that is in fact, you know, and then making a powerful decision of in spite of these circumstances, I'm going to choose to be nice or I'm going to choose to be grateful or all these other things that are like the fruits of the spirits that are so beautiful about us. And, and I think that that again is where the power is for women is knowing that you're capable of doing that. I have goosebumps as you're talking about this and not that it's the same thing, but maybe kind of related that some people were raised uh, in an abusive home. And sometimes that, that can last two, three, four generations. Oh my well, gosh. my mom yeah. was, you know, beaten by her husband. My grandma was beaten by her husband. My great grandma was, a, but what you're kind of saying is, and what they challenge people who come from abuse is let the cycle stop with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was your generational history, but you, you can stop it. So your daughter is not going to be raised this way. You're, you're not going to treat your spouse this way. This, the abuse can end with you. And what you're saying is maybe that programming was there, but that's your default and you don't have to continue on that same path. You can make a decision that to choose differently. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost ironic that you bring that up right now. Two days ago, I was just in Austin and I was keynoting the the Texas Girls Conference there. And I had a little girl come up to me who was 16 years old and pulled me aside. And one of the panels that I was moderating was on rape and how rampant it is today. And she pulls me aside and says, Miss Jones, can I talk to you? And ends up telling me that she'd recently been raped and I was the first person that she told. And, you know, uh, the next two days I went out to meet with her, you know, to sit next to her. She told her mom because she was terrified to tell her mother. So I'm sitting in this living room with her who's 16, her mother who's 40, and her grandmother who's about 70. So three generations, as you said, of these women. And um, this little girl comes out and, you know, the other two start crying. And seven hours later, so I end up sitting in this, you know, this tiny little trailer with these three women. And seven hours later, I get the full story of that grandmother was, you know, she said over 20 years of being married to her husband that he had broken every bone in her body. And then the mother, you know, went on to say that, you know, two of her four children were rape babies. And, you know, then this little girl, and it was so heartbreaking Because like you said, it's generations of programming. It's these women have never been told that that is so unacceptable. And it's not just a physical violation. It is a violation of the soul. Mm -hmm. And I'm so passionate about this issue because it's one of those things that is just not talked about. And I get it that it's not pretty and it's uncomfortable. And it is the ugliest side of our humanity. But I don't think that's an excuse to you know, sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't happen or make victims feel so shameful that they can't come out and tell everyone. And this isn't a story of how horrific the circumstance was. This is a story of, you know, a heroic little girl who is 16 years old, stands up and says, I'm going to blow the whistle and this is going to end with me. And it was one of those moments where like talking about it brings me to tears because... You know, I come back to LA and we're doing all these exciting and fun things with I Am That Girl and are getting all this attention and publicity. And it was like sitting in this itty bitty trailer in the middle of no man's land, Texas, with these three women and seeing this girl make a choice of I will no longer be a victim. And my grandmother was and my mother was and I don't have a single role model in this world to make me think different, but I think that I'm worth it. And we went down to the police station. It was the first time that these women had ever, you know, filed a report against this guy. And it's like that is what gets me out of bed in the morning is knowing that in spite of circumstance that it is 
all the power lies in what you choose to do with that. I tend to sometimes be a little perhaps uh, one-sided when it comes to the beauty industry because I, I happen to think that the beauty industry can fix and save everything. <laughs> I, I kind of do too. So we're a little bit on board with each other. And the other. reason why I like uh, that we're doing this interview and that the audience are um, people within the beauty industry, salon professionals, is because sometimes it's, it's the service provider in a salon or spa that's the first to know. Sometimes a woman will divulge mm -hmm. to their hairdresser things that they won't even divulge to to their best friend or to anybody else and so i think that we have this very unique opportunity to truly truly make a difference in the lives of the women both that work within our industry and the women that we serve as guests as clients in our salons and spas i think that is a really good point because you know this little girl couldn't tell her mom she couldn't tell her grandmother i'm some stranger that comes to her school and gives a big talk and I think that, as you said, the beauty industry, they're working with women all the time. There's already this incredible kind of trust. You know, I, I laugh with the guy who cuts my hair because I tell him things that I don't even tell, you know, my best friends, as you said, because there is this relationship and this rapport that you create. And I think it's an incredible opportunity for women to be stands for other women and to say, you know, just be an opportunity for women to, to be honest. Or for men to be that. I mean, Absolutely. I, I want to be... Absolutely. I want to be an owner or, or a boss or a friend that creates, whether it's my presence, it's, it's my tone of voice, it's how I live my life. I want people to look at me like I'm a safe port. I'm a safe exactly. haven for them. Mm -hmm. And all of us can have that influence. Anybody listening to this, you don't have to be a business owner. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be an advocate. Well, I guess you do have to be an advocate, but we're all advocates for something that makes a difference. And I was just, it's, it's so prevalent in the press right now uh you know the story of rihanna and everything and mm -hmm. and you see these youtube videos of people going on there say well she must have done something she must have said something and so almost like she deserved mm -hmm. to have happened to her what happened and so people blame the victim and so you, you would think that once the truth comes out i.e the story of this 16 year old girl mm -hmm. once the truth comes out ooh, then you know whistles blow and everybody you know files in line to support and that's not the case either yeah I think, as you said, that you don't have to be an extraordinary person. You just have to be able and willing to do an extraordinary act. And I think that's as simple as kindness. The reality is I'm not an expert. I was not qualified. I mean, quite frankly, I think it was borderline illegal that I drove out to meet this little girl, right. seeing as she was a minor. But I think that that's what we're called to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what humanity really is. That's when you're reminded that compassion is a verb and not an adjective. It's so easy to put your hand on your heart and, wow, that's a really hard, that's a really tough story. But, like, are you out there, like, believing in people who no longer believe in themselves, standing for people who can no longer stand, and fighting for people whose voice has been taken away? <laughs> I had a coaching session yesterday, no, two days ago, with one of my learning leaders in my school. And he's a very, you know, young, hip, good-looking guy and... But he was almost going to get fired. And there's rumors in this school about him and somebody else. And I finally said, said you know what, Here, here's how you can fix this. I'm sure it's so easy for you when the pretty girl, you know, calls you over to check her haircut. I'm sure it's so easy for you to go and help her. Mm. You know, why don't you look outside of what you would normally be attracted to. Quit watching Tool Academy mm -hmm. and become a proponent of your beautiful man, which means you're going to get noticed. Why not be the be the champion and, and be the, the person who uses your God-given talent, which is looks, 
that turns that around and gives people a different impression. Absolutely. And I think that one of the big things that we really believe in for I Am That Girl is this concept of a real man campaign. What is that all about? Exactly what you said. We think that we are really passionate about finding these different influencers in their spheres and having men stand up and say, this is what is beautiful about a woman and this is, you know, respecting women is cool. I mean, basically, like, rather than break down and be one of those people who complains about the entertainment industry and, oh, it objectifies women and, oh, it well, sure, but it's because it's in the hands of the wrong people. And so you put that in the right hands and I think that we can change that. And, you know, guys in the beauty industry are in such a position to not only make a woman feel beautiful physically, you know, as I said, when I get my hair cut, I feel beautiful. But on top of it, my hairdresser, I joke that he's a motivational speaker because when I'm sitting down with him, he's always like, when people walk past me and he's like, she's not just a pretty face, you know, she's changing the world. I'd vote for her for president. Like all these different things. Like he's always saying these magnificent things that I look so forward to seeing him every time that I go in because... He edifies me and he validates me. And I think that's an incredible opportunity, especially in the beauty industry, because you're working so predominantly with women that it's a great chance to do that. I have a lot of questions, but you brought up this men's thing. First of all, I think awareness. Women were raised differently than men. Women were raised to believe that they should never think about themselves, worry about everybody else's problems, don't worry about your own, you know, take care of everybody else. Mm -hmm. But... Little boys weren't raised that way. Little mm-hmm. boys were raised to look out for one person themselves. And uh, I mean, that's kind of a blanket statement, so don't send me a nasty card <laughs> about it. But I'm just trying to make a point that we were raised differently. And so, and by the way, we can't just blame supermodels and uh, Absolutely not. sleek advertising campaigns because as you just discovered, these issues have been going on generations, generations, mm-hmm. hundreds of if not thousands of years, it's not just because the entertainment industry is pushing it in our face with billboards and sleep magazine ads. So, so talk about this men panel because you you did something where what you do? You had a five young celebrity mm-hmm. men men come together and, and <laughs> yeah. what, what, what well, was that all about? Who were the celebrity men? Okay, we had uh, Braun Hughes Sam, who's a, a gorgeous pro surfer. We had Seth Gable, who was on Dirty Sexy Money, who's married to one of my very dear girlfriends, Bryce Dallas Howard. And we had Yogi Roth, who was the quarterback's coach for USC. We had Aris, who won Survivor. And we had Eric Sanchez, um, who won The Amazing Race. So we brought in these five young, gorgeous men. As you said, you know, they've been gifted with that. And they're gifted, you know, they've been working in the entertainment industry. And they're the kind of guys that every girl's looking at and wanting to be with. And the reality was we were getting so many write-ins of all these girls saying, you know, this guy did this and what did he really mean? And it was kind of one of those where we were sitting, we were having a board meeting. And I, I just kind of had this epiphany of, okay, I can do a seminar and help bridge the communication gap between men and women. But why don't we have men do it? You know, why don't we bring in men and ask them the questions and I'll make sure that, you know, they're very dear friends and they're going to be very candid. And sure enough, we put on this incredible event, which I think really epitomizes our brand. We always say it's chick empowerment with edge. So it's the 20, we say it's chick empowerment with edge. Okay. We say it is the 21st century empowerment for girls and women. It's no longer, you know, this kind of old, cheesy, sappy what I think empowerment was kind of in the back or like the bra burning man hating, okay. you know, so you're not um, man hating. No, I'm a connoisseur of good men. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I take pride in that. <laughs> um, 
So we bring these five guys in and we had all these anonymous questions and I got up on stage and I moderated this incredible panel of all these men being brutally honest. And as you said, we are fundamentally wired so differently. So there are things that we just may not understand, but we have to accept in hopes that there's certain things about us that they're just not going to understand, but you just got to accept them. So what was the end result? What did you learn? Um, I think we learned that men are just as scared as we are. Hmm. And I think that's something I think that we usually, you know, most of the girls that I know are like, Oh, I really hope he likes me. Oh, uh, how did I look when I did this or rereading texts and you know, how could that be misread? And I think the reality is guys are just as terrified of being liked back. Hmm. I mean, they do it in a much more like masculine posturing. Oh, I don't care. But the reality is all these guys were like, yeah, you know, like getting shot down is horrifying. They were like, we will do anything not to get shot down. And, it, you know, it was also really funny because I think that there are so many things that are just very different. I mean, it very quickly got very vulgar. I mean, just because the guys being like, ladies, these are things you need to know. And women in the audience being like, well, this is what you need to know. But it ended That's up fun. being, yeah, an amazing event. And I think more than anything, it was incredibly entertaining. But more importantly, I think that we really did walk away with a better understanding of the opposite sex. Do you have any uh, statistics on young men anorexia? I don't have them off the top of my head, but I know that it is equally rising as high as the statistics for young girls today. Um, and I know that it's not as high as the girls, but I know that it's definitely going up because that's the other thing is that it used to be kind of this, you know, we all feel bad for the girls out there because we, you know, are all trying to be skinny. And the reality is that men are getting equally bombarded now with this idea of perfection and this ideal body type. And so I think that men are absolutely struggling with it. And that's another thing that people don't really talk about. So give us some more ideas or some of the outreach that, that I Am That Girl is up to. I'm a, I, I don't know anything about them, but people told me to ask you about Bellism? What is that? Mm -hmm. Bellism. It was interesting. We started doing all this research and uh, focus groups and surveys on the tenets of feminism. Asking, you know, girls between the ages of 18 and 35, do you agree with these tenants? And we would name all the tenants. Nine out of 10 girls. Absolutely. Yes. Do I think that I should have equal pay? Do I think that? Absolutely. We get to the very bottom of it. Do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Nine out of 10 girls said no. So we as an organization had a big challenge. Do we want to take the time necessary to deconstruct the negative stereotypes regarding this word, even though it's an amazing cause and it had an amazing mission? The word feminism. The word feminism had was such a pejorative. It had such a negative connotation. And I feel like the women's movement has become so fractured because even the most empowered women that I know absolutely would not refer to themselves as feminists. Right. So it's like, what can we call ourselves that we can all like stand up under? And then while we were doing the survey, we said, you know, what do you think are your battle cries today? What do you think are the things that our generation is really struggling with and that, you know, we can create like some really groundbreaking work? The two things that came up most predominantly were, one, this very narrow definition of beauty. It was all these girls saying they were so saturated with this facade of perfection that they were, they were bored and they were done with it and they wanted something new. The second thing that came up the most, which was really interesting, was how mean girls are to each other today and how catty they are. And so we decided, okay, well, why don't we come up with a new term and a new movement that is really going to resonate with our generation and people younger than us? And it was funny because my junior year of college, I wrote a paper on bellism. I had to create a new movement. That was the challenge for the prompt. 
And I created Bellism, Bell meaning beauty, and it being a beauty revolution. That we are going to redefine what beautiful is. And in doing so, that's going to knock out the second one because girls are no longer going to be threatened by each other because we're celebrating what makes us each so unique. So we came up with Bellism, this new movement. And it was really exciting because, you know, I think also as a company, we're really passionate about absolutely giving credit where credit is due and bringing in older women who have really led the charge for us and wanting to learn from them and bring their wisdom into everything that we're doing. And Sandy Banks, who's a writer for the LA Times, somehow, you know, got wind of what we were doing. And she wrote up this huge article on Bellism, and it basically was to her peers who were, you know, 50s and 60s, my mom's aged women, and she was really, you know, contemplating what is this concept of feminism, and do we really think that it is still as fervent as it was when we were young? And and instead, she ends this article with like, Bellism is the new thing, and you know, rock on to these young girls, and we have your back. And it was so inspiring to have someone who was such a staunch feminist agree that, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't expect our daughters to carry the flag of a fight that they don't feel is theirs anymore. And I feel like on top of it, we were really inspired to bring men into that conversation because that was something that is so important is that it's not going to be, we're never going to achieve what we want to achieve if it's purely one sex. Because the reality is we have to raise the standards for both. And I think it is in every man's best interest that women have a new definition of beauty because he's getting better sisters, better daughters, better nieces and aunts and mothers. And, you know, I really do think that Marine Shriver nailed it when she said that women are the architects of change. And that really resonates with me. And I think that's what I'm inspired is to to really create the future leaders, the future female women who are out there who are going to raise incredible children and are going to contribute instead of consume in this society. And the only way we're going to do that is bringing men on board. So Bellism is the new movement. It's the 21st century anthem to feminism. And it's an opportunity to, I really think, get all these women on board and men and women who can refer to themselves as bellists. So what is it then to be that girl? I think being that girl, it always spawns back to that authentic confidence. It is taking the time to love yourself unconditionally. It is having unwavering integrity. It is knowing who you are and what you stand for in spite of criticism, in spite of accolades, because I think it's equally dangerous. As I said before, I think the moment that your confidence rests in the approval of others is a very dangerous place to be in. And I'll never forget one of my brother's best friends gave me some incredible advice right before I went on Survivor. And he said, little Jones, are you ready for this? And I remember looking at him and being like, yeah, I know. People are probably going to say some mean things about me. And he was like, I'm not even worried about that. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I'm equally worried about the accolades that you're going to receive. He said, because again, the moment that you start looking to other people to define who you are, you've already lost who you are. And I think that's important because I think a lot of times we give people this pep talk of who cares what people say if they say mean things about you, you know, like brush it off, whatever. But I think you have to equally brush off when people are celebrating you because at the end of the day, it has to rest in here. Like it has to rest in your own heart, who you are. And so I think that girl is the best version of you. I think that girl is the best version of every girl out there. It is a work in progress. It is a noble cause that you will spend your entire life fighting for. And at the end of the day, I think that it is our best foot forward. I think it's important for our listeners to 
uh, keep in mind here, we're not referring to little 14-year-old, 15-year-old girls here. Mm-mm, because you, 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 you told me that your focus is 18 and above. 18 to 35. And so. it's funny because when I came up with the name, part of it for me, I am that girl, was the concept that... I remember trying to come up with a name for this empowerment company and I went through all the Greek, you know, mythologies of all these like badass women out there doing all these amazing things. And I was like, what if we called it She-Ra or like Wonder Woman <laughs> and like all these different things that were so awful. I mean, I, you know, I had weeks of terrible ideas and I remember talking to my best girlfriend and I was trying to describe it to her and I was very discouraged. And I said, you know, who is that girl in high school? The one who was like really pretty, but so nice you couldn't even hate her. And she was like, oh yeah, that was Sandra Parks for me. And I was like, yeah, that was, you know, and I named the girl in my high school and I said you know the girl that girl in high in college who was like you know the last girl on the dance floor like she was so fun but still the chick who pulled off like a 4.0 you know like these really dynamic amazing women that the way they looked again wasn't even icing on the cake it was like the sprinkles you know and so the more I kept saying that I was like that's it it's that girl everyone knows that girl in their life that they are just like man she rocks and then I thought it was really important that I didn't want to name it just that girl because I think too often we as women look outside of ourselves and say that girl has it all and that girl has that and that girl has this and instead I wanted it to be a declarative of I am that girl of everything that I value and everything that I envy and admire and other people already exists within me and part of that is discovering that in the journey that we take girls on to find out who they are inside. So obviously uh, you raise money for your organization. I know that you're also involved in working out global outreach programs in third world countries as well. So this isn't just, you know, you and a bunch of girlfriends sitting around talking Mm. and what you're trying to get girls or or women away from is somebody else defining, you know, what would make them valuable, which means then you have to basically, you're not going to tell them what's valuable. You'll have to, you're helping them discover for exactly. them what, what their value is. So how else are you doing that? Yeah, we just asked the question. And I think that's the other thing is I was really adamant when we were first creating the, the structure for this company is that I didn't want to just provide another definition. Because at the end of the day, I wanted to go to the source. And the source is women creatively and passionately and lovingly coming up with who they are for themselves. Um, at the same time, as you said, it did very much start organically. It was me and my girlfriend sitting around saying, you know, we have a lot of conversations about things that don't matter. Why don't we start having a few about things that do? And what can we do in our community? And what can we do at our school? And how can we get involved in coming back to this concept of, I would rather be known for contributing to this world than just being another person who consumes. And so it did, it started, you know, with all my sorority girlfriends and it started with three or four girls, you know, once a week, a sitting down and saying, did you hear this issue going on in Afghanistan? Or did you hear this issue going on? And before you knew it, it was more girls than you could pack in a single room. I mean, we were going like having to change room to room to room because we were getting so big because all these girls were passionate about having conversations about things that mattered. And so recently the two programs that we've launched to really be able to, or to allow girls to get tangibly involved in what we do is we launched That Girl Goes Local. And those are local chapters that are now, you know, spurting up all over the U.S., which is really inspiring for us because the conversation is now having, you know, people are now having the conversation all over. And the second one is That Girl Goes Global. And that was our global initiative. We launched the International Leadership Program in January last year of 08. I flew to Cambodia. And I worked with the Cambodian Children's Fund. It's actually a beautiful story. Scott Neeson, who is the former VP of Fox International, a big executive who will openly 
tell people what a jerk he was. He was that guy in first class who would like complain when the kid was crying. He'd be like, kids aren't supposed to be in first class, you know, and he'd be like, get him back there. Like he was totally that guy who was like, you know, egotistical and like had so much money. It was, you know, it was scary. He goes to Cambodia in 2003, sees the atrocities going on with these children living on a landfill and came back and quit his job and sold his multi-million dollar house in the hills and sold his multi-million dollar yacht and moved to Cambodia and has been there for the past six years and has now created six different schools in Cambodia and has saved 600 kids from this horrific life that is all they've ever known and educates them and gives them 24-hour medical treatment. And he had an all-girls school. And so I filmed a travel show right after I was on Survivor and the executive producer of that, they were having coffee and he said, you know, I had this girl's school and I mean, I'm a guy. I grew up with guys. I have no idea where to start with these girls. You know, you have any suggestions? She said, oh, I have the chick for you. I, there's this empowerment girl and you should talk. And two weeks later, I was on a plane to Cambodia wow. going to go work with this amazing school and that ended up launching our global um, campaign. And now we have four different locations around the world in India, in South Africa, in Ecuador, in Cambodia. And we're now doing quarterly trips and taking the girls who are going to be chosen from our local programs to have this incredible opportunity. I think relativity is so important. I think it's really easy in a very myopic American view to think that this is how the world is. And it's just not the reality. And all of a sudden you come back from a trip like that and you realize just how fortunate you are. So that was really important to me was to give these girls that kind of experience. Whether it's a group of girls in a third world country or it's a group of girls in Laguna Beach sitting around talking, we keep on saying girls, women. Women, absolutely. How important is just the dialogue alone? The fact that they can, because you said it was some of your sorority girls that, and then the group got bigger and bigger. How valuable was that alone? Just the fact that you would get together and talk about this stuff. You know what? I think it's funny. That's the key for me. And I think for a long time, there, there was a stint, I mean, maybe six months to a year. I put so much pressure on myself to come up with some formula or some seminar, or I was going to come up with an answer to all these women's problems so that, you know, they were no longer, you know, feeling overweight and no longer feeling insecure. And I mean, I really did every day I woke up and I was like, okay, I can, you know, I can come up with this. And what I realized is for me personally, that one, that's not possible. And two, I think my only real job. And I think the only real reason for I am that girl is to provide a conversation is to facilitate a conversation because there's so much healing there. And I think so often we think we're the only ones going through something. And then all of a sudden you sit down and you have all these women saying, wow, I really, I struggle with that. And, and I struggle with that too. I was just at a seminar in Miami last week and it was incredible. I got to co-host this event with the UN Foundation. And so I put together all this curriculum for a four-hour seminar with um, 40 of the most influential women, um, CEOs and entrepreneurs under 35. So we are talking, I mean... Such unbelievable women in every way possible. I mean, they've started companies. They've, you know, I mean, just short of curing cancer, these women were off the charts. And I remember sitting down and again at 26 being a little intimidated because I wasn't the youngest, but I certainly wasn't the oldest. And in that kind of type A, you know, get things done kind of environment, sitting down and saying, hi, my name's Alexis and um, <laughs> I'll be leading the seminar today. And, and all these women looking at me, you know, for all these answers. And I remember just being honest and just starting and saying, you know what? I think I could get up here and speak very pedantically and probably impress you with my vocabulary or with my eloquence, but 
I'm interested in having a conversation. Right. And I don't want to get up here and again put on this facade of perfection that I have I'm the CEO of this huge company and that, you know, I'm this international motivational speaker. Can I put on that jacket? Sure. But I don't think we're gonna get anywhere. And I think right now that's the problem with women. I said, so by all means, let me start. This is what I'm insecure with. This is what I woke up with. It's six o'clock this morning. This is what I struggled with. And it was amazing. It was like putting out your white flag and instantly every single woman in the room, hands are going up. I struggle with that too. Oh my gosh, everyone thinks that I have it all together. Everyone looks to me for all the answers. I'm terrified. I'm, you know, all these different things. This one girl, you know, for the life of me, I can't get a date and I think I'm a catch. You know, we're going around this (laughs) room and all these women were being so honest. And I think that's part of it. And one of the biggest things I encourage girls and women who get involved with I Am That Girl and why we're so passionate about these local programs is because every woman should have a place they can go at least once a week where they can just be real, Hmm. where they can be honest, and where they can wear no makeup and sweatpants and can come and be loved and be encouraged and inspired and know that they're not alone. And I think that's what we're really passionate about putting out there is that women have this safe haven in a world where I feel like we're getting more and more isolated. Technology is allowing us to be, you you never have to leave your house today, you know? And I think that is, you know, so the opposite of what our human nature craves Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And of all the work that I've been so honored to do overseas, the fundamental thing to humanity is we just want to be loved. It's Mm -hmm. so simple Mm -hmm. and we'll look for it anywhere we can. Mm And I Am That Girl is trying to provide that for women. So I think the answer to my question is, yeah, the fact that yeah. women can talk. Exactly. Can Every woman knows. We need to talk, you know? And Tony Robbins, who I just think is fantastic, one thing that he said that's always resonated with me is he said that the sharing process is a magnification to an experience. So, you know, I get a phone call and I get my dream job, you know? And, oh, my God, I'm so excited. Oh, my God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Click. My ability to feel that is probably a two. I'm probably really excited, but the reality is what is your instinct to pick up the phone and call someone else? Like when you get engaged, what's your instinct? Oh my God, I have to call all my friends and all my family and birthday celebrations. Like everything is magnified by the amount of people that you share it with. And so for me, you know, when I come back home, you know, from a date of like a new guy that I have a crush on and I'm like, you know, all jittery and like butterflies in my stomach and I come running in and I throw myself on my bed. I'm like for about three seconds and I'm like, I have to call Emily. I have to call, you know, immediately I have to call all my girlfriends be like, oh my God. And then, and then he kissed me, you know, and like, and in that process and then they giggle and it's so much, it's made so much better. And so I'm sure you too have seen this in some of the female CEOs that I've worked with. I've seen some of the most successful, the most physically gorgeous women you've ever seen who are so lonely and are so empty. And it's the saddest thing I've ever seen because especially success, I always ask people, success at the expense of what? Mm -hmm. Success at the expense of you'll step on every single person to get there. And then when you're up there like a king or a queen all by yourself, Mm -hmm. and then what? You have a lot of money. That's amazing. You could probably buy a lot of things. Let me know when you're bored with that, you know? And I think it's so important, the support system in life that you have. I refer to it as your crew. Like, who are going to be the people who have your back? And I think that we don't put enough emphasis on that. We don't tell people just how important it is to be surrounded by people who genuinely love you. I love your analogy then that, you know, when you're excited and something great happens to you, you want to tell people about it. 
because that's the process of helping you be able to process it and mm-hmm. get excited yourself. And but yet, when people are struggling, they're not talking about it. You know mm-hmm. what? What keeps abuse going on in a family? Secrecy. Don't talk about it. What keeps addiction going on? Nobody knows. Don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, suicide rate with kids who are struggling with their sexuality because there's nobody to talk to. Absolutely, it's the number one reason for suicide wow. for youth today. Wow. Is struggling with um, sexuality and not having anyone talk to So I was to told to ask you about your uh, Mount Everest <laughs> story. Yeah, I hiked Mount Everest. Um, it was my senior year. Um, you know, you college. keep this up and, uh, uh <laughs> you know, your, your dates are going <laughs> to yeah, be I too t- intimidating. Tell me about you know, it. I can't get a date for the life I know, of me. you're beautiful, yeah. I'm like, hook me up. I'll leave my number for all you ladies out there and you have great guy friends. Let me know. Um, Yeah, actually, it was right off the heels of my best friend, one of my very dearest girlfriends growing up, was in a car accident and passed away. And this was one of the biggest life lessons I've ever been given. And I pray that this never happens to anyone because it is just the worst circumstance when, when a life is taken so early. But I remember coming home and I was so devastated. I was in the same clothes for a week. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't leave my room. My mom came in. I was, what, 19 or something? My mom came in finally after, you know, six days of this. And she sits down on the edge of my bed. I, was, I, hadn't, ta- I hadn't spoken to anyone in days. She sits on the edge of my bed and she says, sweetheart, um, you know, the world is going to justify this. You're right. It is unfair that Ashley was taken. And the world is going to say it is okay for you to hit the pause button. For a lot of people, they're going to hit the pause button for years. So for me, it was my best girlfriend passing away. I don't know what that is for someone else out there. But we all have that moment when you could give up and it's going to be okay because the world is going to say, hey, that's tough. And she said, but it does you no justice and it certainly does her no justice. And um, life is not always going to be pretty. It's going to be messy and it's going to be hard and it's going to be devastating. And you right now have the option of who are you going to be in spite of that. And, um, and she left my room. And I remember waking up the next morning and there was no like thunder and lightning. There was nothing like amazing. There were no fireworks. But I remember I, I changed and I hopped in the shower and I came downstairs for breakfast and it's not like it went away but I remember in that moment I made the decision that I am going to pursue my passion that I am going to live my life in spite of circumstances because this is neither the first nor the last I'm sure of it and I want to be the kind of woman who decides what attitude I'm going to take in this lifetime and says that this is who I'm going to be and you can throw anything you want at me and I'm going to fall down. But every single time, the one thing I know about myself is I am going to get back up and maybe it's going to be slow, but I'm going to get back up. And I think that that's, again, what this life is about is it's not about avoiding obstacles and avoiding heartbreaks. Like we've all had our heart broken. You know, it's not about, you know, I'm going to try and dance around, you know, this tough circumstance. I really think this life is about moving through and with grace. And sometimes that grace is a few very choice four-letter words and mascara streaming down your cheeks and clenched fists and a whole lot of life's not fair, but it's still moving in a direction and it's so easy to get stagnant. So when I woke up that next day and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to start living my life then because if there's one way that you know she can live through me is not only do I carry her in every one of my messages, but I'm going to live twice the amount of life because I get to live hers now too. 
And in that moment, I said, one of my bucket lists is I wanted to hike Mount Everest. So I said, okay, mom, come down to the breakfast table. You know, my family's just ecstatic that I'm, you know, out of my hole. And I say, mom, you know, very definitively, I'm going to hike Mount Everest. And I think they were more just terrified, like in this weird place that I was in. So they were like, okay, honey, that's very sweet. (laughs) Okay, sure. You should. That's great. Two weeks later, I got a ticket. And my mom was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I, I told you I, I'm going to. And she was like, oh, here we go. And this has been a theme in my life where I think I, I officially scare the people around me because when I say I'm going to do something, it's like as good as done. So I went to China. I backpacked through China by myself for about a month and a half. And then I took a, a little skipper plane over to Lhasa in Tibet. And uh, it was, in retrospect, I should have died. I mean, it was the most ridiculous. It was the most ridiculous thing. How I old are you? I was like 20, I think. She hiked Mount Everest. Yeah, and I, I ended up stress fracturing my hip 50 miles into the hike, and I had 100 miles left. So it ended up being a really physically brutal experience. Did you finish? I did. Wow. Yeah. You know, the story that you just told, and uh, our poor listeners who have been listening to me interview people, and I just I have to tell everybody else's story too, so... But it just kind of resonated too. We had a uh, student that attended my school who at 16 was in a car accident, paralyzed from the waist down in a wheelchair. Her dream, though, was to become a hairdresser. But she tells this story. I mean, and she was just this ideal student and just incredible, incredible victories, right? But she tells the story, you know, laying in the hospital bed at 16 years old, being faced with the possibility of never walking again. And she said, laying there, she knew she had a choice to make. And the decision was to either get bitter or to get better. Exactly. Which became just like well said. this theme for me. So like I'll repeat that to myself a lot. You know, stuff happens bitter or better when mm-hmm. bitter or better, bitter or better. It's a choice. So true. And I think that there's so many people who are waiting for those ideal circumstances. You know, like when I get this great job and when I get this, you know, great significant other and, and when it's like everything is always like one step in front of you right. but i think there's so much to say in then you're 80 years old saying well when we get the winnebago exactly and get to travel this great country then i'll be happy yeah and <laughs> they for wasted me, their whole life exactly i think you can waste your whole life wishing for what you don't have mm-hmm. and i think that the quickest way to disperse that intangible insatiable hunger that honestly is never going to be met is just a being grateful. It's when you stand on a stage then in front of a group of women, what are your messages? The stuff that we're talking about now? My message is the question that I just asked at this last one was, who are you and what are you going to stand for in this lifetime? And I say that before women. I mean, my mother is such a testament. I mean, she is the most amazing chick I've ever met in my entire life. If I grow up to be one hundredth the woman my mother is, I've done well in life. And she's 63 years old. She's drop-dead gorgeous. And she is the epitome of beauty lies within. She's the kind of woman who validates you from two miles away. She's the woman who makes you feel like she waited all day just to see you. And she is so warm and charismatic and genuine with people that, you know, my guy friends still call and ask if they can come over only if my mom is home. (laughs) So, you know, she's that woman. Like men, women, and children are mesmerized and it's just this magnet to this woman. You'll know it when you meet her. 
And I think I was given such an incredible role model for what that is. And so I really say this to girls as much as women, because as I said, with I'm That Girl, the whole concept was coming back to that like beautiful naivete of being a child. And like how happy when you're like so carefree when you were a girl. And that was like an aspect of what I want to like recapture for women is like going back to this girly, fun, giggling for no reason, butterflies, you know, passion, like throwing everything to the wind. Like I'm going to go for it. And you can't see, you know, past tomorrow, but you know that you're going to fight for it, whatever it is. And so I want to inspire that. And so that's why, you know, I, I keep referring to women as girls because I think women being a woman is overrated. Um, but my message for girls and women, you know, I mean, I think it's a universal message is how are you going to define yourself? And I always say that, you know, on your tombstone, there's going to be a start date and there's going to be an end date and there's a very short dash in between. Mm. And what do you want that dash to stand for? Mm. And so when I go in, the, the talk that I recently gave, I had a huge billboard thing behind me and I had all these pictures of celebrities and magazine cutouts and I, you know, on one side and on the other side, it was all my modeling pictures. And I have a big rack of clothes up there and, you know, all this stuff that, you know, I remember at 22 calling my mom, and this is the story that I share, and saying, is this it? Because mm. I have everything that the world tells me is important. I'm hosting a TV show on the red carpet, and I'm going to all the VIP parties, and I'm hanging out with all the celebrities, and I'm dating the Abercrombie model. Like, that's every girl's dream, right? And I'm modeling myself, and I'm a size fill-in-the-blank, and like all these things, and, you know, I'm on the covers of magazines. So why am I not happy? Mm. Why am I not joyful? Why am I searching and why am I terrified? And worse, why am I pretending to everyone else that I figured it out? And again, in that moment, my mom was like, aha. You know, like this woman with this wisdom was like, this is a profound question to be asking right now. And she said, and the saddest thing for me is that for most women, they will never achieve all of that. And they will spend their whole life thinking that their happiness is somewhere outside of them. And you, fortunately, at 22 years old, thank God I got everything I ever wanted at 22 and realized that it's all crap. It's all fluff. I think it's really easy to be spoon-fed our definitions. Our definition of success, our definition of wealth, our definition of happiness. And I think that it's a travesty that we are not asking children in elementary school and in middle school and in high school and college to create those definitions for themselves. Because before you know it, you're chasing after this very elusive definition that isn't even yours. Mm. So for me, I had a definition of what I thought success was, mm -hmm. of what I thought wealth was. And then I woke up and I had it one day and I realized, wow, I've never figured out what this was for myself. And so that's really what I challenge the audience to do. And, and I take them through the survivor experience and, you know, going out on this island and being stripped of everything that I thought was important. And more than anything, just having the revelation that I didn't know who I was. And it was an actual identity crisis out on that island. When I tried to figure out how do I fit in and what do I have to contribute to these motley crew of 10 strangers. And all of a sudden I realized that it was my sense of humor that got us through really tough times and it was a compassionate heart when things got really hard that I was the girl they came to and that it was a work ethic that I was the girl who was first up, last to bed, helping build shelter after shelter after Mother Nature humbled us night and night. And it was all those intangibles and I came back like this incredible, I mean, you know, everyone in my life was like, I didn't even recognize you when you came back. Because then when we were talking about that pie, it allows everything to be the icing. 
You know what I mean? Then the fact that I'm a cute girl is like, hey, bonus. You know, the fact that I, you know, wear great high heels and that like I have an eye for fashion. I mean, I always joke that I'm like, man, if that's what a guy likes me for, he misses the whole. I mean, that is the tip of the iceberg that makes me who I am. So you're saying that before you did the survivor thing, you didn't know that you were the one that helps difficult situations using humor. You didn't know you were the type of person who wants to to jump in and, and help and contribute. You didn't know those things about you. Yeah, and I think I think that confidence is earned. That's what I always say. Confidence is never just given. Like you have to do the little wins for you to be able to stand up. Like I said, standing up on a stage, I can unapologetically stand up there and say, I've earned the right to be up here mm-hmm. and having a conversation with you wow. because of all of this stuff that I've done. And I think that that's what I learned out there was that I had never really been pushed up against a rock and a hard place so much so that I had to redefine what my definition of impossible was. I guess the good news is uh, people don't have to go sit on a deserted island Mm-mm. to be able to learn these things about themselves. Absolutely so. not. I think that it really boils down to someone who's determined to have these conversations with themselves. Cool. And I think that's the other thing is people think that, oh, well, I have to go to Tibet and do this like silent retreat for a month or I have to. You can make any excuse in the world. The reality is like you could turn on the TV and decide to do that instead. But you can also go into your bedroom and shut the door and sit with yourself for three minutes and just see what comes up. What Marianne Williamson used to say, that it's easy to be a spiritual master if you're living in the Himalayas, but you know, try doing that in rush hour traffic in exactly. Los Angeles. When you're getting flicked off. There you go. I'm so. always like, this is a great opportunity to exercise <laughs> patience. Better or better. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to start to wrap things up cool. here. I have a couple of questions, but first of all, let people know how they can uh, find you. Uh, you. You have a blog. You have a website. Mm-hmm. Tell us. So give our listeners information on that. Our organization's um, website is IamThatGirl.com. I am that girl. I am that girl. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. And then and I have a personal a blog website. Too, right? Yep. And okay. there's a blog on there, and there's um, a section called Miss Jones, and that's mine. And I blog um, weekly, you know, about the things that I'm doing and, you know, little tidbits here and there. And then I have my personal website, that's alexisjones.com. Cool. Cool. And that is more on my, on my speaking side, more of my business. Perfect. So to kind of wrap things up here for our listeners, talk to me as though I am somebody who wants to be able to have influence in the lives of the women in my life and the girls in my life, you know, what's your advice to me? I think my advice to you is to be present because I think you would be shocked at how many people are already in your life that you could have a huge influence on. I think that too often we are thinking that we have to do it in these monumental ways. We have to be the president or we have to be the CEO of a company or we have to. And the reality is that there are people in your life right now, whether you know it or not, who are looking at you to create to what you determine is cool, to what you determine is right or wrong. And the moment that you become present to that, I think they will realize you already have so much more influence than you could ever imagine. Wow. Okay, and then finally speak to me as though I am that woman, that, that young girl who is, is struggling with a lot of these issues. Well, I'll tell you, first off, you're not alone. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, that's the first thing I would say, you're not alone. We're, all of us are. Every girl that I've ever spoken to, we are so scared it's silly. And I would say that the next step is getting plugged into a community where you can have those conversations mm-hmm. because you're going to realize like just how many women are out there just like you, and more importantly, that we have an opportunity to empower one another. Wow. <laughs> You're amazing. Oh. Just 
really Thank amazing. Thank you. Just, again, an industry that I love and that a lot of people listening to this uh, master's issue, obviously we, we love this industry as well. And uh, anything that we can do to uh, create safe havens and, and create an environment where people feel loved and they feel valued and they feel safe, that's what we want to do. So thank you for having that same mission. Absolutely. Thank you.